medicine between the lines. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. And we're back. Hey, we're back. Hey, we are here. We are here in the Between the Lines studio. Um, kind of, kind of taking in uh, <laughs> everything that's happened yeah. over over these this last week. It's um, we haven't really done a podcast in two weeks. We did some YouTube videos last week. Yeah. Um, so go to our YouTube channel, check those out. We got a couple of reactions to some uh, oversimplified history videos they, yeah. were, they were pretty funny uh we have a video out there of us watching the history of the entire world it was pretty good uh a, a clip that was uh entertaining yeah um the last episode we did oh boy was uh fifth amendment did, was that the last one we did or did we do something i think that was the last one yeah. we did was fifth amendment yeah um there's so many of them oh man can we just combine it into one and call it the all-inclusive amendment? Man, that would be like the that would be like the director's cut of Lord of the Rings trilogy, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> but less entertaining. Or Zack Snyder's. Uh, oh my God! The the never-ending the DC never movie. Ending DC movie. Good grief! What was that? Four and a half, five hours long. And it was so dry. It was bad. It was so dry. I was so excited for it too because it's like, oh man. We finally get to see the version Zack Snyder wanted everybody to see. And then it's like, uh, it's like, man, they were right to edit that shit down. <laughs> <laughs> it's was, like that was bad. It, it's like a little kid that has too much to say and trying to say it all in one breath. And yeah. Oh man. It was yeah. It was. I just want to say a shout out to the Little League World Series. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's uh, in the our neck of the woods. Williamsport, PA. That's what everybody knows. Williamsport four. That's what I do. Anytime it's like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from I'm from Muncie. Where's Muncie? Outside of Williamsport. Where's Williamsport? Little League. Did you ever, World. Hear, did you ever hear the Little League World Series? Yeah, that's that's Williamsport. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's not like it hasn't been around since 1947. Yeah, it's, which it has been. Which it has been. This is the 75th anniversary. 75th anniversary. I got my hat on. Yeah. So uh, we invented. We invented Little League, bitches. Yeah. It was, we started that shit right here. You know what's pretty impressive about the Little League is that of all the sports that are out there as far as like kids sports, it is the most organized and most well, oh yeah, well, uh, publicized, I guess, or well received. Well, Little League's been around obviously 75 years, but Little League's been around for a long time for one. Yeah. Um, way, way longer than let's say like Pop Warner football or anything like that. And it, baseball was at one point was the game yeah. in America. Yeah. The NFL has kind of taken over because yeah. I really think the strike, the the MLB strike in the nineties, um, yeah. had a lot to do with the downfall of Major League Baseball. Yeah, ninety three. Yeah, it just made them look. I mean, the NFL had its own strike, but it it wasn't as well publicized because the NFL wasn't as popular. Yeah. Um, and I think the strike kind of made people realize that. Uh, you know the the players were in it for the money and well, not that's for the love thing. of the game. I mean, if you think about it, it's like I mean, if you were to take some of the original Hall of Famers, Babe Ruth, yeah, Babe Ruth, Cy Ty Young. Cobb, Cy Young, Lou Gehrig, you know, yeah. all these guys, the guys that got in on the ground floor of some of these Willie things, Mays. and you sat them in a line Jackie up Robinson. against some of the new guys that are playing nowadays, yeah, and 
if if let's say it's the 90s and they're sitting there talking to him i would imagine like half of them would just be like you're pathetic yeah it's yeah. like you're straight you're making about a thousand times one times yeah more. more than what i could have ever made yeah. in my lifetime like you're living more you're living like kings yep and you're in complaining fact, about what you're making just like just like in the nfl a lot of those players would get off work after working at a factory for six or eight hours or eight to ten hours. Yeah. And then they would go and play yeah. baseball. Yeah. You know, for however It was like a side hours. job, yeah. but it was something they enjoyed doing. But yeah, and they got paid a little bit to do it, so they, they did it because they loved it. And they roughnecked it. They didn't have like specially designed baseballs by nope. Nike and specially nope. designed shoes that make you run and jump and yep. And you know, fly faster. Yeah, I mean, all the sports are guilty of that. Yeah, all of them, all of them. The, the NFL is the same way too. Like when the NFL started, they were wearing leather helmets. Yeah, and it, again, they were just you know steel workers. Yeah, they got off work and went and played football for fifty thousand dollars a year, which was good money back yeah. then. But what people don't realize, and I'm going to go on a soapbox here for just a second about the NFL. The whole reason why these prissy football players get paid so damn much money is because they negotiated for higher pay because of the risk of injury. There's a high risk of injury in the NFL and there's a chance that you could get really hurt and stuff like that. So you put your body on the line when you play in the NFL. It's not like police officers do that or anything. Yeah. So they asked for, they asked for more money and the owners are like, yeah, okay, that's fair. We'll give you more money. So then they turn around and say, hey, then the owners turn around and say, hey, we're playing the, we're paying these pay- players a whole lot of money. When they get hurt, <laughs> we're, we're still paying them even though they're hurt. Yeah. We got to make sure that we're not letting these players get hurt. So now they get the money and they get the protection. Yeah, the players are winning out here. They're coddled, which is which is fine. I I don't want to see anybody no like suffering from CRT or whatever the hell they call it, CTR or I yeah. can't remember what they call it. But um, I don't want to see anybody suffer from that that kind of stuff. But at the same time, the whole reason why we're paying you millions and millions of dollars was because of your risk of injury. Now it's mostly because they're getting a share of the advertisement dollars is what it boils down to now. Well, it's really ridiculous, though. I mean, to, you know, if you think about it, it's like what the common per And I I know it's, it's people's fault that the players continue on the route that they are because yep. people will pay for it. People will continue to pay for it. Like, I was absolutely offended when the Eagles back in... Early 2000s, I guess it was. They started renting out seats. Huh. Like, it started becoming, like, your property or whatever the case be. You know, and you could lease it or whatever the case be. And then it turned... It just... But the sheer expense. Like, the sheer expense. Like, just the seats alone are going to cost you anywhere between five to 10 to 15 grand, depending on what you're going for. Unless you're, unless you're in the nosebleeds where you you can't see anything. Even then it's expensive. Like football games are not cheap to get into. I mean, it's one thing. That's why I, if anything, I appreciate like the minor league sports more than I do the, the major league sports. So, um, but yeah, what's up? I'm going to fly on your head. Oh, we got to we got to fly like, in the room. Like, Hi. We, we got to fly in the room. You you had a Mike Pence moment there for gotcha. a second. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but you know, it's just, I mean, I don't want to take up the time with no, this. No, I but get you. It, it's no, just it's a, a good segue uh, because the bitchy millionaires uh, yeah. <laughs> have a ton of money yeah. and we just spent a ton of money yeah. as, as a country. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't remember what day it was. doesn't matter. Um, the Biden administration canceled um, $10,000 worth of student debt for anyone making under uh, $125,000 a year. And if you got a Pell Grant on top of your student loans, then you are eligible for um, $20,000 uh, worth of student debt. Can I just start this conversation by saying that's oh, yeah. a load of bullshit? I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm <laughs> going gonna, gonna to start off with, with a little bit of compassion. Um, I come from a school that defrauded a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a shitty little school called McCann, <laughs> the, the McCann School of Business and Technology. Um, and they had predatory loan practices. However, uh, what I will say about that is we have a legal system for a reason. Yeah. And I was duped into some taking, taking out some loans that I probably shouldn't have taken out of. I'm responsible for that. I signed the papers, um, so that's my debt, and I've been paying on that debt. Yeah, um, I've I've paid it off down below ten thousand dollars, so this is probably going to cancel out the rest of my debt. However, I will say that, that McCann was sued for what they did, and yeah. they lost their class action lawsuit. And there's a mechanism in the United States federal loan system called borrower's defense, where if you you truly believe that you were defrauded, you can apply for a borrower's defense. Before I apply for the cancellation of my debt, uh, I'm going to apply for the borrower's defense. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm holding McCann liable for their fraud and not passing the expense of their fraud onto the taxpayers. Yeah. Um, that being said, I understand that there's a lot of people out there that can't afford their debt. What I'll say about that is there's a lot of people out there that can't afford a Porsche. Yeah. They yeah. don't go out and yeah. sign the papers for a sixty thousand yeah. dollar Porsche the way that they go out and sign the papers for an eighty thousand uh, dollar college education or a yeah. hundred and twenty thousand dollar college education. Just because it. It, just because it's a college education, a piece of paper doesn't make it any different. Well, there's there's so many aspects to this argument, and I'm going to start it from this from this end of the angle. Is that uh, one of the one of the earliest jobs that I held out of out of uh, well during college actually uh, out of high school is I worked for a nonprofit agency that did uh, loans for the nonprofit sector specifically. So that's one thing you don't think about. It's like nonprofits need loans yeah. sometimes to you know build facilities, to start projects, whatever the case be. So this agency specifically focused on uh, low interest, you know, non predatory lending to these agencies that could be controlled and maintained very easily, you know, for these agencies and were reasonable. So our big thing was always, you know, just highlighting just how banks were predatory. Nobody's, there's no illusion to that. Yeah. Um, you know, me going through college, I didn't do, I think I made a had one or two FAFSAs. I paid those off, but I had a major bank loan from a bank, uh, you know, uh, education loan. So, so 
I understand as well as anybody is that, you know, usually the educational loans are geared to be, um, you know, appealing to that that age group that's going into college because they try to promote like lower interest rates and grace periods and all that kind of stuff. Um, but after time, you know, after you hit those grace periods, you know, it just it, it becomes a burden after that point yeah. unless you're able to secure like that dream job that everybody expects to hit when they get out of college. Yep. So that being said is that, you know, there nobody there's no illusion on my part with regards to the burden that 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 creates. But at the same time, you have a lot of students who let's take, for instance, students who have family members specifically maybe parents that work in an educational system and those kids have the option to go to schools where those parents work at and they basically get free rides to those schools if not like steeply discounted rates but then over top of that they decide to go to schools that fall outside of that scope yep so now they're subject to the same price points that every other person would be subject to that doesn't have that that uh, perk, I guess you would say. Yep. So again, it's it's on their onus. It's their onus. You know, it's their decision to have stepped out of the realm of what could be affordable into the realm of what's not suddenly un- what's not affordable at yep. this point. So, I have compassion. I have empathy because I understand it. Everybody understands it because anybody that's working and you know has had at least one or two or a couple years worth of college. Maybe some have gone you know, eight, 10, 12 years worth of college and understand yeah. it. I mean, doctors and yeah. lawyers, I mean, it's, it's required for some of these, uh, these professions to do eight plus 10, you know, all these years, you know, of learning. I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, you still knew what you were getting into. You, I, I, I think my thing is, is the, how they're approaching this it's it's not that i don't think we should help people that are in this situation it's how we're helping them yeah it's it's the idea behind what's the old thing where you know if you were in a i i grew up in a city so you were pretty if you were walking around town you were pretty well aware of people that were looking for handouts and that kind of thing so and you after a while you you learned that the best way to help that person is to never give them cash. Yes. If they were truly in need of something like food or clothing or shelter, you found those things. Yep. You gave them food. You yep. gave you found them the clothing they need. You got them in touch with people that could get them shelter and get them into places or get them on their feet somehow. You didn't give them things no. directly because that always ended up being more of a negative than a positive. I mean, even the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, all the incoming incoming uh, class, the new classes for that year, they would do an orientation. And when a specific part of that orientation for a number of years, I don't know if they do it anymore, is that they would instruct their their the new incoming students to never give money to anybody in the you know that are asking for handouts because they're like those people sure. are making more than we are in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. every day. Yeah, they did a study. I can't remember what city it was in, but they did a study. And most of those panhandlers, like the, the, the people that play the guitar on the, I mean, that's a little different, but the professional panhandlers can make up to forty to $50,000 oh, yeah. a year. And it's all under the table. It's 100% untaxable, under the table. I, that's a personal rule of mine is if, if I'm out and somebody needs help, I have no problem helping somebody, but I'll take you to go get lunch. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a 
I'm not going to give you cash. I'll take you to go get lunch and I'll buy you a meal. Yeah. I have no problem doing that. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you cash so that you can support your alcohol habit or your drug habit if you have one. Not saying that all homeless people have those no. things, but a good portion of the homeless population, unfortunately, do have addiction problems. Yeah, and that's it's, why it's like homeless. the old. I just drove up here from somewhere and I ran out of gas. Yeah, all my families. Yeah. we're on our way to Disneyland and I ran out of gas and I need. You realize you're in Pennsylvania, right? And you're going north. If you're heading to Disneyland, you're you're not even close to going in the right direction. You bought a bad map. You, Turn, you, 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 you see you see this the, the end the N on the map goes to the top. <laughs> that's how the that's how the map works. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah. Um, there's what, what I guess my point is is there's mechanisms though. Yeah. For for those that are defrauded. Yeah. And this this handout. I mean, I'm I'm all for. I mean, believe me, I'm going to be happy that my debt's gone, yeah, but I'm not going to be happy when we're paying twelve dollars a gallon for milk. Well, it's just like with the uh, stipends or whatever you want yeah. to call them they gave us during the COVID. Yep. You all know, it did was all no. We were all nobody here, myself included, is going to be like, no, I'm not going to take. I'm it. I'm not going to take it because it wouldn't have mattered anyway. No. Yeah. Because they're they're giving it away to somebody. Exactly. The only the only silver lining so to speak for this program is you have to apply to get it yeah so it doesn't happen automatically yeah there's going to be people out there that just pay off their loans because it's the right thing to do um i'm not going to be one of them (laughs) because you know hey look uh i'm if 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 the government's going to give me a handout i'm going to take it maybe that makes me part of the problem i don't know but um it, it it's odd to me though like where's the where's why aren't here's here's another question why aren't we talking about why college is so expensive to begin well, with and that's that's one of the directions i wanted to go when you brought up that you wanted to talk about this um it, one of the one of the th- uh, let me back up a little bit I saw a post recently about a, a woman who just had a child and was in the hospital and she she got her bills sent to her from the insurance company. Thankfully the insurance company took care of about 99% of what nice. she owed. Nice. But she showed a copy of the bill for just having a child. It was like $50,000, $60,000. I know the medical field is a whole separate argument, yeah. but what I'm getting at is this idea is that everything Everything is astronomically and insanely ill proportioned to what it actually should cost. Yeah. There's no reason on God's green earth why a school should feel it's necessary to charge 60, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 dollars for a semester. Yeah. And you're talking like you're charging them for dorm rooms that are bullshit. Yeah. Like you see some of these dorm rooms. Oh yeah. God, if you got taken in by a realtor or a landlord to show you around to some of these dorms and told you you're going to pay $30,000 a year for this piece of shit. It's like, I would be like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, I'm going to go it? find your, find some other place for well, half the cost off camp. That's why off campus housing is so, so popular right now, because if you go off campus, you can find an apartment for, for, if it's the same rate as what you would get in the dorm, it's going to be a, a huge apartment, and you can usually split it with other people. And yeah, 
And plus, it's nicer. It's more. It's maintained. It's yeah. You know, it doesn't look like it's you know Auschwitz. Yeah, my <laughs> lord. I mean, for real though. Like some of those college dorm rooms look like prison. Yeah. I mean, I mean literally, like, literally, and they get away, block. and they get away with charging what they do for them, and it just the thing of it is, and then they're talking about with the tenure, the the professors and the teachers and all that kind of stuff. It's Bullshit. like it is. I'm sorry, Harvard alone. I I, I feel like the I'm going to just throw out a low number, not the number that I think it is, but from what I understand, they have like twenty billion dollars in the bank. In a hedge fund. In a hedge fund. Yeah. For from I mean, not past for, students and whatnot. To their credit. Now here's the only here's the only caveat in the Harvard, and I know some others do it, but I just don't know the, what the numbers are. But Harvard utilizes that hedge fund to actually pay full rides for students coming in. Good. I don't I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. If alumni if the alumni of Harvard want to dump all this money into a hedge fund and to use it to scout out you know the best and the brightest and all that kind of stuff and give them the opportunities that i i don't have a problem with that at all i guess my problem is is when it becomes an entitlement when when it shifts from a when it shifts from an endeavor by a group to facilitate to an, an entitlement because that's what it turns into it it turns into an entitlement well unfortunately you know you get into that analogy of like the 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 bears at yellowstone park oh, where, yeah. where they always have that that um sign uh for the bears at yellowstone that say you know don't feed the animals yeah or they won't be able to fend for themselves yeah it just goes the, the same same thing and it it also, you know, in my opinion, it also applies to, like, uh, the welfare state. Yeah. Because, essentially, and, you know, the these these um, scholarships. I'm telling you, brain fog today, Dave. <laughs> uh, these scholarships that they give out yeah. and whatnot, they eventually, you know, people expect them. Yeah. It's just like food stamps yeah uh, you, you know when you get the food stamps i've gotten them before but when you get when you get them it, it then becomes part of your income yeah and then you start planning around the food stamps and whatnot and and it just works its way into the system and it becomes expected it becomes part of your routine so to speak so then you can't break free exactly of it. you don't treat it as a temporary uh yeah like a temporary help you treat it as a new this is a new yeah. source of income but that in the yeah keep going no no yeah. and, and well that i'm getting close to the end of my point so you 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 then you adapt to that being the new normal and then what happens is is you eventually graduate out of needing that stuff because you've had that assistance eventually you get to a point where either through raises at your company or you know, whatever it may be through your own means, you work your way up to a certain point, then those food stamps get cut off and it's devastating because now all of a sudden that income that you counted on is gone and you're left being like, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm actually now I'm making less than I was with the food stamps and so on and so forth. And my, my point, I guess, is, is you become you become accustomed and you adapt to these things and then you expect them yeah uh, because they've they've become and that's the problem in my opinion with with any of these handouts whether it be food stamps or this cancellation of debt um like other people have said there was a couple 
uh, a middle-income couple that paid off $190,000 worth of student loan debt just through perseverance and saving and, and, yeah. and whatnot. And now they cancel everyone else's debt. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know? and, that's, and that's one of the things. And in thinking about this, I, I realized that they didn't, they didn't think about this. And that's my problem yeah. with this whole cancellation piece is that, again, going back to what I started to say is that we there's no illusions as to the obstacles and the hurdles and the trouble that loans can provide for a person going well into their adulthood, into the end of their life even sometimes. We understand that. That's not the point. Uh, the point is is that the there were there are options that are out there that could alleviate the burden, but at the same time could also still instill into at least the younger generation that's paying off these loans. The idea is that there's still a sense of responsibility to be had with what you sign up for. And what I mean by that is, and my point is, is that I, I think they should have looked at it from the perspective of tax credits. Yeah. Like why? That's not a bad idea. Why couldn't they have structured a tax credit that looks at their loans? Now, here's the other piece of this, uh, just to kind of fill in the blanks here of what I'm trying to get at, is that they're only taking into account federal and government loans. They are not, and let me repeat, they are not, they are not taking into account people that have taken out educational loans yep. with private industry, with private banks, private yep. lenders. This only counts towards... This completely, yep, completely bypasses all those people that are still spending uh, enormous amounts monthly on bills with loans because they didn't apply for the FAFSA loans. Here's the, here's the other, so here's the other piece that I'm getting to is that the government, Biden and all these morons that don't understand how finances work, yes, they are a moron, and they should not be in control of finances. I'm not saying that there's nobody in the administration that doesn't know how finances work. I'm just saying that the immediate head operators of these decisions are morons, M-O-R-O-N-S, yes. morons. morons. Um, but the point is, is that they could have structured a tax credit that looks at the income of the individual currently, just like your tax code does with everything else. Absolutely. And they could have looked at what burden monthly the loans place on a person. And they could have structured a tax credit that allows them to write off as you know whatever amount that they're having to pay into that monthly. And then maybe even structure it to where they're paying it above, not just on principle, just but paying above, like getting it down, not just paying the minimum requirement. Yeah. Because that's what happens with a lot of these loans is that they start accruing interest. And that's where it becomes almost predatory. It's like you took out $14,000 to go to school, but at the end of your life, you're paying $40,000, yep. you know? And that's the point is that structure a tax credit that takes into account the principal also takes into account the interest that this idiot agency that is trying to... Well, Filch. I honestly feel like if you're if you're if you're getting a federal loan for for school or something like that, then that loan should be interest free. In, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. That would have been a that would have been a fine compromise to me. Is that okay? We're not going to completely forgive these loans, but you can take. I don't want to say you can take as long as you need to pay them off, but you can structure these loans 
based upon your income, you know, and and pay them off at your leisure interest free. Well, they're so poorly conceived because the if I'm not mistaken, unless things have changed, is that the grace periods on these loans start or end about six months after after you stop going to school. Yeah, yeah. And like who who in what world does anybody anybody except for the very small percentage of people coming out of college end up into a job equal if not better than what they were paying in loans well that's or what they would owe in loans. that was my whole gripe about the college that i went to because i i uh i had just gotten just a little backstory because it context matters uh i had just gotten laid off uh, i had a factory job i worked uh, in, a, in a steel factory for many many years um, I got laid off uh, because of the depression, uh, the mini depression in 2008-2009. Um, and due to that, uh, there, I had an opportunity to have some of my tuition covered uh, to go back to school. So I was deciding whether or not I wanted to go back to school. Chances were I wanted to go someplace, but the, the college that I went to was pretty far away from my house. The reason I went to the college I did is because when I sat down at an, in, an, in the enrollment office, they basically promised me that the reason that their school was different is that they make you, uh, they have a whole team of people that get you a job after you graduate. They have alumni that um, provide occupations to, to graduates out, out of school to make sure that, you know, to make sure that if you graduate from this school, you're gonna get gainful employment afterwards. I'm like, boy, that sounds like a great idea. And then I graduate, magna cum laude, mind you. I didn't just skate through, yeah. I had great grades. Uh, I graduated magna cum laude and no employment to be had, Yeah, nothing. They didn't even call me. Uh, I, I, had to, I had to, they wouldn't even return my calls or emails. I ended up having to go physically drive to, to campus and wait to talk to somebody from the employment department and call, whatever they call that postgraduate department, whatever they call it. Um, I had to physically go there and they would tell me, oh, we got nothing. We got nothing in your field. We got nothing in your field available. And this, that, and the other. I was literally going to take a job at McDonald's. I had an interview at McDonald's because a friend of mine was a manager at McDonald's. I had an interview there before I ended up getting my job at Best Buy. And because I got the job at Best Buy, I didn't have to work at McDonald's with my degree in computer yeah. sciences. That that was, but that was my biggest gripe is I would not have gone to that school had they not promised me to get employment. So that's where I feel like I was defrauded. So I applied for the well, not for anything, but I don't think very many schools do that very well. Period. No, I don't. And here's the thing: is that they. I would say probably within the last 10 to 15 years, that's been a selling point. Mm -hmm. If you look at all these billboards and whatnot that they put up about schools that are in that local area, one of the big things is they post how many of their students have gotten jobs out of graduation. Exactly. Now, I'm not saying that there's no schools that do this. I'm just saying that the majority of schools do this very poorly. Um, now, and then let's take this into consideration. I used to work as a paralegal. And I had to make transitions between a couple different firms in the course of the couple of years I worked in that field. And one of the things that you would reach out or one of the agencies you would reach out to are temp agencies, uh, headhunters, if you will, yep. but headhunter agencies that were specifically focused on your profession, so to speak, because they just had, you know, connections to those, that world, so to speak, you yep. know, you wouldn't go, 
if you're a welder, you wouldn't go to a temp agency that focuses on attorneys. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? No, no, I get you. You would find a head. Yeah. So anyways, you know, you would find these groups and I would get calls constantly from them. Like I would get emails and calls about job updates and wanting to sit down to rebuild your profile so that we can better search for you and all that kind of things. Schools don't do that. Schools nope. do not are not even a fraction of in most cases are not even a fraction of that efficient and when it comes a, to doing that kind of it's stuff. It's unfortunate too because like you said, you, your grace period ends very shortly after you leave school. Yeah. So if they don't find you that within six months, you're you're yeah. If exactly. they don't find you that amazing job that they promised you, like they they even gave me numbers. They're like, oh, your starting salary will be like forty to sixty thousand dollars a year right out the gate. Yeah, I'm like, wow, this is going to change my life. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking. This is this is exactly what I want to do. So I I did it. I did everything I was supposed to do. I got my grades. I took my classes. I filled my end of the bar. I fulfilled my end of the bargain. Yeah. They did not. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, f- I feel like I was defrauded. I it's like um, <clears throat> I can't even I can't even find a good analogy. It's like you you go to buy a car and they tell you oh yeah you're gonna get exactly the car you want and yeah, it's green. You, you you ordered a car that's hunter green. Yeah, it's green, but it's it's like lime green, uh, and and it's patchy. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Like you were promised one thing, and and what you you were promised a, a Porsche nine eleven, and what you get is a Prius. Yeah, you, you know. Well, then I mean, not to take this. I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole with this oh, stuff, sure. but not for anything. But that's why, like a lot of the online schools started to develop such a reputation too, yep. because they were education at a lower price point, a much lower price point. In some cases, like a tenth of the cost of what you would pay at any normal school. Well, all of those schools, all of those schools have been have been sued for predatory practices. All of them. Yeah. If you remember, like back in the late '90s, early 2000s, it, there was always those commercials on TV for University of Phoenix yeah. and ITT Technic, DeVry yeah. and McCann, and all these other, all of them. ITT and and DeVry were just were just had a class action lawsuit against them. Mm. McCann had a class action lawsuit. There's a whole list of schools that have defrauded people. It's a giant list. You can yeah. go on the Department of Ed, Ed's website and look it up. Some of these places are still in business. McCann yeah. is still in business. They're still they're still doing their thing. They only have like one campus, but they're still in business. How is this possible? Yeah. You know what I mean? They should lose their license immediately. Well, it's the thing of it is is that some of these schools were like overnight startup schools. They had no structure. They had yep. no plan. It, well, at least it seemed like they had no plan. It was sort of like, you know, getting called about a pyramid scheme almost. But, you know, but then on top of that, the colleges that were established started to see them as a threat mm-hmm. to their own roles. So then they started delving into the online schooling more heavily. Because when I was in college, which was 1999, 2000, 2000, up until a couple of years later, um, the thing with that is that they you didn't hear the online schooling yeah it wasn't a thing it really wasn't a thing i would say up until about maybe what 2005 2010 somewhere in that range you really didn't start to hear about that stuff being offered and now it's like every school every single school has school yeah 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 you know high school elementary school is online now so literally covid had some to do with that but i'm talking even before covid because i have family members that 
that went to cyber school, you know, and this was years ago, like 10 years ago. Yeah. That they were going to cyber school online rather than actually in on-premise school. So this wasn't a COVID thing. No. This has been going around for but a while. But it hasn't been a long time in the period. No, not in the like scope maybe of... 10 or 15 yes. years it's shifted. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, it's... But anyways, back to the point that we were trying to get at is that there, there have been, through the course, nobody has been on, under the illusion that education is cheap. But it doesn't get any better. No. It hasn't gotten any better. Nothing cost-wise has gotten any better. Um, inflation has been, a, has been a rule of thumb since... <laughs> since I don't know when the the invention of the, the economy, yeah, basically. So if inflation typically doesn't, I'll I'll put it in this perspective: if you go to if you have somebody that manages investments for you, like a financial advisor or whatever the case be, one of the things that they like to do, especially when they're trying to give you a sense of how your investments are going to do, is they give you a sense of the broad versus the 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 short where the long versus the short. In other words, they'll show you like a major fund that, you know, maybe some of your money's going to go into for, you know, IRA or 401k or whatever the case be. And they'll give you the sense that, listen, there were periods of five to 10 years where this, this fund dropped just consistently. But if you look at it over the period of 50, 60, 70 years, this fund has consistently gone up. Yeah. So if you look at it from the long, this has always been a profitable in investment in the long run yeah inflation not a profitable investment but has always gone up yeah. it may have dropped a few years but it always goes up yep and we're especially seeing it in education um which is what we're talking about and the thing of it is is that they are not accounting for that they're not accounting for that in in light of what students the burden that they're coming under i mean the, the whole process, it's almost like Sky Mall. I remember this episode of, um, do you remember Sliders? Yeah, the show, yeah. Yeah, where they would go to different dimensions yeah. and whatnot. So anyways, they end up in this universe where everybody works for Sky Mall. So everybody's an employee of Sky Mall. And so basically, you make enough to buy things from the Sky Mall company store buy your, you know, rent, you rent your house or your apartment from the Sky Mall real estate you know, you don't leave. Like, you don't ever leave that system. You're always in that system. And that's the whole point, is that the way that loans are structured is that you're always in that system. That's, it's, it's, it's. I, you know, I, I hate to throw this out there, but it's financial, it's financial slavery. It is, it is. It quite literally is, is financial slavery. Is what, you're, is what it is, is you're, they're setting you up to fail and they're setting you up to be dependent upon a system that doesn't have any interest in your well-being at all. Well, that's why people like Mike Rowe are so popular. I love Mike Rowe to death. Mike Rowe is a gem. Yeah. I mean, when in the in the world of educational platitudes, Mike Rowe is like the realism that people need to hear because he comes out with these things. It's like, listen, most of the you know, dirty jobs and what yeah. most people know him for. He, he's shown and shed the light on just a, a world of missed opportunity that we've kind of overlooked because in some, in some part of our brains, we got to thinking that college is an absolute necessity. Yeah. Most, of your, most of your self-made billionaires, millionaires today are coming out and being like, listen, 
this is a waste of money unless you're going to college for something very specific. Like yeah. you're going for medical or you're going for, you know, an attorney, something that absolutely requires certain levels of, you know, certifications and write-offs and sign-offs, you know, to certify that you're able to do this or whatever the case be. Now, granted, you know, it's not to say that college is, isn't worth the time spent, but I think about it. It's like how many people go to school for a very specific thing and it's jammed down their throat that they have yep. to take all this other stuff all yep, over yep, again. Yep. You, no, you can't go for what you want to do. You have to spend at least two years, you know, doing things that we want you to do, basically. Have you ever seen, I'm sure you have. Have you, I don't, I don't mean to step on your point. So no, you no, point, you're fine. No. Okay. Um, have you ever seen, and I want to make this the last point because we have some other things we want to talk yeah. about. But um, have you ever seen the movie it, 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 Accepted with Justin Long? Where he he gets rejected from every college that he applies to, so he I don't think so. So he and his friends. Uh, okay, here's the, here's the plot of the movie. Um, Justin Long plays a kid that just graduated high school, and he applies to all these colleges and gets rejected from everyone because he was just kind of a goof off in high school. Um, so what he does is he and his friends rent an uh, an abandoned mental institution, and they defraud their parents into paying tuition to a college that doesn't exist. <laughs> they 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 invent a, a school called the 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 South the South Harmon Institute of Technology. Okay. S H I T. That's perfect. You, you need to see this because what it does is it shines a light. It, it's a comedy and it's very funny, but it's also um, on its face. It's 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 like a, a trial of the American academic system. Yeah. So essentially, what they do is they start this college. And at first they're just goofing off, but pretty soon they they decide, okay, well, what do you want to learn? And he's like, well, I, all, I when I was the one kid's like, okay, when I was in high school, I went to summer camp the one year, and we we made wood carvings, and and I I really enjoyed it. So he's like, okay, well, why don't you learn how to make wood carvings? So they take his tuition money, and he spends his own tuition money on the materials to learn how to do wood carving, and he he's amazing at it. And this other kid uh, wanted to learn how to cook, and he liked experimenting with different foods. So he started putting all these herbs together and things like that and, and started spending all of his money learning how to cook strange foods and things like that. And it turned out that they were using their own money to learn what they wanted to learn in their own way. Hmm. Um, so this college, they get sued by H Harmon College because they stole the Harmon College gotcha. name. It's supposed to be Harvard, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, long story short is they end up getting a, a, a temporary, spoiler alert, they end up getting a temporary um, accreditation to continue as a college because people, they were actually improving their lives. But what turned, what started as this goofball uh, scheme actually turned out to be a way to educate themselves. And the point is, is you don't need you don't you don't need to go to an institution yeah. to learn these things. If you want to learn how to be how to do wood carving, take that money that you would have invested yeah. in college and teach yourself this and and teach yourself that. You don't have to go and my my broader point is in the middle of this movie there's the the girl, the love interest of Justin Long is going to Harmon College and she's going for photography. And she's like, "Well, I was going to take this art photography course, but it my, my instructor said that it doesn't apply to a degree in photography and I wanted to take a photojournalism course but that applied to a degree in 
journalism, but not a degree in photography. And it's and it's like, well, it's photography. You're yeah. learning. So it just it, it pointed out the absurdity of yeah. what you're paying for in college. And everybody at these colleges were stressed out. Watch the movie. It, it's a it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a great um, you know uh, like trial of the modern college experience. So I think my the last thing I want to just say about this, and then we can go on to the bigger, yeah, the other the big other thing, thing um, is in the they need to figure out a way to alleviate some of this cost without paying it off for them. They need to figure that out. And, and the the argument has always been, well, things are just too expensive. Then then put your heads together and put some time into it and let's figure out what makes it so expensive why is it so expensive why is is it unnecessarily expensive i mean they do audits of you know agencies every year companies do audits of where their money is going they have to it's like i remember enron from back in the you know 90s and 2000s they they had to look at their accounting and what they were spending money on and turned out they were cooking the books and they all got indicted for it. So it's like, you know, at what point do we start auditing, you know, why schools are so expensive? At what point do we start auditing why, why the government feels it's necessary to pay off stuff with money that doesn't exist instead of just making routes uh, through the whole mess for students to be able to pay off their mess, you know, and, and that's the thing. It still should be their mess. Absolutely. I don't think it should be. I don't think your mess should be my mess. I don't think my mess should be your mess. Yep. I think our mess should be our mess. I think it should be, you know, sole responsibility. One, because it teaches you things. Two, because I don't want your mess. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, it is, so. it is a good life lesson to learn where if you sign on the dotted line, uh, I've had a couple of arguments with people on social media and it's like, look, I'm not trying to be. Um, you know, uncompassionate. Yeah. I'm not trying to to not have empathy for people. I do, but at the same time, you signed yeah. a contract. Yeah, and well, and, and the the one person argued, well, I didn't understand what I was signing. Then don't sign it. Yeah, exactly. You never sign anything yeah. you don't understand. Well, That's here's just the thing: rule number one of life. Isn't there a co? There, I had to have a co-signer when I signed. Sometimes for mine. you do. I didn't because I was I when I when I went to college the second time. I didn't need a co-signer because I was a full full grown adult now. Gotcha. You know, once you turn 18, you don't really need a co-signer. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes though for credit, for credit reasons yeah. you need a co-signer, yeah. but I didn't need one my second time around. I signed everything myself. So, I I guess the the, the thing about it is is a don't sign something that you don't understand. If you don't understand it, have somebody explain it to you that's not the school that you're trying to apply to. They're going to make everything look like, you know, perfume and roses when it's really shit and vinegar. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's enough of that. Um, I don't even know what more to say about that. Outside of the uh, fact that it's going to cost more money than they anticipated. Yeah, yeah they originally earmarked it at $300 billion. And now these numbers, these numbers, it's like... it. $300 billion doesn't even seem, it's not even a real thing to yeah. me. I can't even comprehend $300 billion. And that, that, um, that amount has jumped to $500 billion, um, just an estimate. So, and it's going to keep going. It's going to keep, it's going to keep going up. Um, so 
the other thing I just want to mark this down. The other thing that uh, happened over the week is they released the affidavit for the um, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. That's what we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Is the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Um, so they, uh, for those of you that haven't been on Earth, <laughs> this 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 past uh, couple weeks is. Uh, the FBI performed a warranted search on Mar-a-Lago. Uh, as it turns out, the warrant was a pretty general warrant. Um, there wasn't really anything specific listed. They were allowed to search whatever they wanted um, for whatever properties they wanted. And uh, the judge was fighting with the Department of Justice because the Department of Justice didn't want to release the application for the um the application for the warrant, because as we discussed under the Fourth Amendment, um, you you end up um, you have to have under threat of perjury, you have to have somebody swear uh, under oath to the probable cause that would grant said warrant. So um, when they go before a judge, somebody has to draw up paperwork to apply for the warrant that shows probable cause as to why um, everything was searched. So in that process, um, the DOJ didn't want it released what they were applying for. So it was fought back and forth, but the judge basically said, this is too important for you to not release it. This is the first time in history that an American president has ever been raided um, so on and so forth. So we need um, to have transparency. Yeah. Um, so the DOJ proposed a redacted version of the application, and that's what we got is a redacted version. So what we have today on Between the Lines is a copy of um, said warrant. So up on the screen, um, what you can see now is a PDF copy of the actual uh, affidavit. So what, what you're going through here at the beginning is basically just um, a, a bunch of mumbo jumbo describing that this is the application for search warrant affidavit um, redacted ex parte memorandum of law enforcement concerning proposed redactions. So essentially this was the version of the affidavit right here. Um, so you have at the beginning, you have some small redactions of names, which I get, um, essentially what this affidavit is, unfortunately is everything that we already know. Yeah. There's so, nothing new in, like, in this. So the first portions of it are just all just general stuff that you would see in any affidavit. Yeah. Um, and the stuff that we actually want to know, the stuff that we want to see, as you scroll through this document, you'll soon find that this is a big piece of shit. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it's uh, worthless. The FBI's investigation has established that documents bearing classifi classification markings, which appear to contain national defense information, were among materials contained in the 15 boxes and were stored at the premises in an unauthorized location. So if you go up here... Um, you'll see um, 
it describes the government is conducting a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal and storage of classified information in unauthorized spaces, as well as the unlawful concealment or removal of government records. So herein, uh, the former president, Donald J. Trump, herein after, he'll be F. POTUS, um, and the 15 boxes of records is what, when they reference 15 boxes, they're referencing the initial 15 boxes of documents that were given uh, back in February um, to the Department of Justice and NARA. Um, so any anywhere in this document where they reference 15 boxes, that that's what they're talking about. And the premises is uh, 1100 South Ocean Boulevard, Palm Beach, Florida, um, don't care about the zip code, uh, here in after known as the premises, that's Mar-a-Lago. So anytime in this document that they reference 15 boxes, they're talking about the original 15 boxes. When they reference F POTUS, they're talking about Trump. And when they reference premises, uh, they're referencing Mar-a-Lago. I just wanted to, to, to preface the rest of this document so that you understand that's how legal documents work, is that first it starts off kind of describing what terms are going to mean in the rest of the document. Um, so once we actually get to the meat and potatoes as to why, um, what was in this location, that's redacted. Further, there is probable cause to believe. Well, further from what? I don't know, like, this is this is redacted. How am I gonna know what the further is for? Um, right here, it says further, there is probable cause. You can't see the um, cursor on online, but under the redaction, um, that's what it says. And then it goes on. Down here, we see names are redacted. To me, that's fine. I understand why they're redacting the special agent's names. Now we get, based on my experience and training, I'm familiar with efforts used to unlawfully collect retain. So this guy is making, I'm, I'm familiar with, with what happens when people take records and stuff like that. So now it's just basically this line is saying that he makes this affidavit um, in support of attachment B. Based upon the following facts, there is probable cause to believe that the locations to be searched at the premises contain evidence. So really no, nothing there. Source of evidence, the facts set forth in the affidavit are based on my personal knowledge. Knowledge obtained during my participation in this investigation. So it's basically just laying out. It doesn't say what the evidence is. It just yeah. says that he has it. Then it starts going into the statutory authority and the definition. So all, he, all it's doing here is describing the U.S. statutes to which the evidence falls under. Still doesn't describe the evidence. This goes on for some time. Um all the way down to here, human control systems, SI control systems designed to protect intelligence information derived from the clandestine human resource, blah, 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 commonly referred to as human intelligence, protects human intelligence. It's just describing different, the, there's the FISA Act as a dissemination control. All it's doing is just describing the statutes and things that it used to fill out this warrant. And here again, it's Here's 18 USC, uh, 18 USC 2771. These are all things that were in the papers. Nothing, nothing new here. Now we get to the probable cause. On February 9th, special agent in charge of the NARA's office of the Inspector General sent NARA referral to the DOJ. So 
Uh, on February 9th, the DOJ got a reference from NARA, the Records Association, that they got 15 boxes that they that contained newspapers, magazines, printed news articles, photos, miscellaneous printouts, notes, presidential correspondence, personal and post-presidential records, and quote-unquote a lot of classified records. Um, so then on February 18th, the archivist of the United States Chief Administrator for NARA stated in a letter to Congress's Committee of Oversight that uh, NARA had an ongoing communications with the representatives of President Trump throughout 2021, which resulted in the transfer of 15 boxes. So they contacted Trump. They asked for documents. Trump gave them the documents they asked for. NARA has identified items marked as classified in those boxes. So because those boxes had classified documents in them, they they assumed that there was other boxes of classified documents. Um, NRA staff has been in communication with the Department of Justice. The lettuce was made public after the law, and there's a link to the letter. Uh, and then we go to, okay, on February 18th, the same day, the Save America Political Action Campaign, or PAC, posted the following statement on behalf of Donald Trump, or F. POTUS. The National Archives did not find anything. They were given upon request presidential records in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy in accordance with Presidential Records Act. An image of the statement below shows the image. And then this is where things get a little squirrely for me. This is where evidence would be. And this is where they would describe the actual probable cause used to secure this warrant. And it's redacted. And you go on. And it's redacted. And you go on. And it's redacted. All you get here is, according to a CBS Miami article uh, titled, Moving Trucks Spotted at Mar-a-Lago, published January 18th, at least two moving trucks were observed at the premises on January 18th, 2021, and then redacted, and then redacted, and then redacted, and then redacted. On or about May 6th, NARA made a request for the missing PRA records and continued to make requests until approximately late December 2021 when NARA was informed 12 boxes were found and ready for retrieval at the premises or Mar-a-Lago. Then redacted and redacted and redacted and redacted. From May 16th to 18th, FBI agents conducted a preliminary re review of the 15 boxes provided to NARA. And this is the original 15 boxes. Yeah. A preliminary triage of the documents with classification markings revealed the following approximate numbers. 148 unique documents bearing classification markings. 67 documents marked as confidential. 92 documents marked as secret. And 25 documents marked as top secret. Further, the FBI agents observed markups reflecting the following compartments of disseminations ACS, FISA, ORCON, NORF, NORFORN, and SI. Based on the training and experience, I know that, the, that documents classified at these levels typically contain NDI. Several of the documents contained what appears to be formal, former POTUS's handwritten notes. So essentially, there were documents in there. Um, I th these FISA documents um, and stuff like that. Okay. And then redacted and redacted and redacted. In the second such letter, which is attached 
POTUS's counsel asked DOJ to consider a few principles, which include POTUS's counsel first claim that a president has absolute authority to declassify documents. In this letter, POTUS counsel, I requested, among other things, that DOJ provide this letter to any judicial officer who is asked to rule on any motion pertaining to the investigation or in any application made in connection with the investigative request concerning this investigation. I am aware of an article published in Breitbart, May 5th, available here, which states that Kasha Patel, who is described as a former administration official, characterized as misleading reports in other news organizations that NARA had found classified materials among records, the former president. I mean, all it's doing is it's going on. Uh, It's all stuff that we already know. So essentially it's saying that um, their counsel requested that the DOJ provide a letter to any officer who's asking to rule on any motion pertaining to the investigation or any application uh, consider the principles that a president can has the absolute authority to declassify documents, which is in the Constitution. And then redacted, 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 redacted. On June 8th, DOJ counsel sent... Uh, Trump's counsel a letter which reiterated that Mar-a-Lago is not authorized to store classified information and requested the preservation of the storage room and boxes that had been moved from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. Specifically in the letter it says, as I previously indicated to you, Mar-a-Lago does not include a secure location authorized for the storage of classified information. As such, it appears that since time declassified documents were removed from the secure facilities of the White House and moved to Mar-a-Lago on or around January 20th, they have not been handled in an appropriate manner or stored in an appropriate location. Accordingly, we asked that the room at the Mar-a-Lago where the documents had been stored be secured and that all of the boxes that were moved from the White House to Mar-a-Lago along with any of the other documents be be preserved in that room in their current condition until further notice which they did. Now, this is the portion of the document right here that I'm interested in. And the reason being is because it says right here, as previously indicated, Mar-a-Lago does not include a secure location authorized for the storage of classified information. That is not entirely true. Uh, I have articles here from several news uh, organizations most of which, this one being NBC News, is not uh, necessarily a conservative uh, news outlet. Uh, The reason I'm pointing this out is, um, okay, so let's start with this. What is a SCIF? A SCIF is a sensitive compartmented information facility. Um, If I'm getting dry here, you know, wave your hand. No, you're fine. um, So... Essentially, what happens is when a person becomes president, whether it be George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald J. Trump, any of the previous presidents, I don't know when this started, um, but a SCIF is set up or a sensitive compartmented information facility. So when I say SCIF, um, you can think of a special room where uh, secure documents are supposed to be held. Um, A SCIF um, or secure facility is usually set up in the household of presidents. Um, George W. Bush had one on his ranch in Texas. Obama had one um, at his home in 
um, Chicago as well as his vacation home in Hawaii. And Donald Trump had one at Bedminster as well as Mar-a-Lago. Um, so right here in this article from NBC News dated April 7th, 2017, it says the role of, I'm going to highlight this, the role of skiffs in President Donald Trump's administration have made headlines as the president continues his frequent trips down to his resort in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer tweeted a photo Friday of Trump and his national security team monitoring the U.S. strike in Syria in what he described to be a skiff from there. So this is a photo of the secured room inside of Mar-a-Lago from when Donald Trump was president. So essentially, there is a secure room at Mar-a-Lago. We now have uh, an article here from the Palm Beach Post. I don't know what their political leanings are, but uh, the headline is, um, Trump in Palm Beach, Mar-a-Lago's skiff, JFK's bunker, and keeping national security secure. Um, this titled November 5th, 2019. So again, this is before any of this stuff yeah. came out. And I've saved all of these websites just in case yeah. they mysteriously disappear. Um, but right here in the article, mid-article, it, it states in one line, there is a skiff at Mar-a-Lago, which is used when President Donald Trump is in town. So that proves that there is a skiff at Mar-a-Lago that was set up for... Um, you know, uh, when he's visiting down there for secure documents, so on and so forth. That is top-level secure departmental facility. It is secure. It's it's the way it should be. Now, in full disclosure, there was an article in the uh, in the Guardian, and this one though is titled it, it, "What? Where's the date on this one? I can't find the publishing date." It was recent though because it's about the new, uh, the new developments. But I don't see a date stamp uh, on it anywhere. Oh, there it is. Friday, August twelfth, twenty twenty-two. So this is recent. Now, the um, this article states that a skiff was established at Mar-a-Lago, but you see highlighted, but it operated as a secure facility only during the Trump presidency. So my my question is is what what happened that made this an insecure site? Did this and and this is a this is an honest question because I don't know the answer to this. Is this something where it's um, it's no longer considered a secure facility simply because he's no longer president of the United States? Uh, was there security in that room in place that is no longer in place? Um, you know, why did this switch flip when he was president to when he's not president to where this room is no longer secure? Because that office and the storage room where the skiff was located at one point was considered secure. Yeah. So what happened that made it not secure? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've... It's, this is all news to me with regards to skiffs. I mean, I, I kind of figured, you know, just generally speaking, that given the fact that most presidents will have a personal 
a home that they're going to be traveling back and forth between at some point, you know, during their presidency. Even Camp David. Yeah, Camp David. I mean, but you have to wonder, like, even in Camp David setting, they, I would imagine that the entire facility isn't considered secure in the sense of being no. utilized for communication. Just a, just one room. Yeah, Camp David would have to have, you know, a specifically... And you know, Obama, when Obama was president, and I'm sure it was the same for Donald Trump and for George W. Bush... Um, but when he was president, he had a tent hmm. that he would take and they would set it like, let's say he was overseas for some reason. Yeah. Um, they would set up a tent and he would go in the tent and that was a secure tent. Nobody outside or nobody inside the tent could have iPhones or cell phones or any of that stuff. So this is not a new concept. No, um, this is not something that Donald Trump invented um, just because he's Donald Trump. Uh, all presidents as far as I know, since these uh, safeguards were put in pr- were, were put in place, have utilized a skiff outside of the White House. So my question is, and, and the reason I bring that up is because if you look at this document and you look at the, um, you know, essentially what they used to justify the raid, it says. As I previously indicated to you, Mar-a-Lago does not include a secure location authorized for the storage of classified information. That that's not entirely true, because it did at one point. What? Why it's no longer considered, um, you know, a secure facility? I'm not sure. Um, just to just for full disclosure, you go on with the document. Uh, still redacted. Still redacted. Still redacted. Still redacted, still redacted, still redacted. All the way down until we get to another point. Based upon this investigation, I believe that the storage room in uh, Donald Trump's residential suite, Pine Hall, at the 45 office and other spaces within the permanency are not currently authorized locations. So right there, the key word being currently authorized locations for the storage of classified information, or NDI. Similarly, based upon this investigation, I do not believe that any spaces within the premises have been authorized for the storage of classified information. So I was just looking up here. There's a company called SCIF Global that apparently builds these things. Um, They have a definition. They said uh, a SCIF is just a sensitive compartment information facility, a U.S. Department of Defense term for a secure room. It can be a secure room or data center that guards against electronic surveillance and suppresses data leakage of sensitive security and military information. SCIFs are used to deny unauthorized personnel such as foreign intelligence services or corporate spies the opportunity for undetected entry into facilities for exploitation of sensitive activities. So if you look at these things, from the outside, they look basically like a trailer with like a super hardcore yeah, you can door. you your phone up to the camera if you want. So that's kind of a general idea as to what what it would yep. look like. Um, but then if you look on the inside, it looks like just any old yes. you know, room. Now, however, my understanding is that what they would do is they would take and designate a room within the said uh, house or, you know, man, you know, whatever their house looks like. And they would take that room and they would probably get a construction crew and start adding yep. things to it, like sound dampening. And they would add surveillance, you know, like scramblers and all other sorts of equipment that you would have to include to secure a facility like that. So the only thing I can think, and I'm just going at this from an honest perspective, is that I don't really understand what the criterion is on these things, that 
I would imagine that it's something that has to be checked constantly. Yeah. Something that has to be certified. Certified. And then what, what, what I'm assuming is, is that when you're president, that room is considered to be secure. When you're not president, it's considered to be insecure. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe it has to do with the guarding of that room. I'm yeah. sure that if, if the skiff is in use and there's top secret information that there's most likely some sort of guard on duty outside the door to make sure nobody's going in and yeah. out, things like that. So maybe those are the things that, but it's just, it seems to me like it's just the flip of a switch. So yeah. you're, you're president and it's a skiff, you know, on switch, you're not president off switch. Yeah. You, you know, so it was a secure facility until he became not president yeah. anymore. Um, and then the rest of the, the rest of the, um, document is just the the conclusion and the request to seal all the documents and so on and so forth and keep them secret um, and then obviously the signatures yeah. um, so that that's the end of it and then there's some evidence that goes with it but um, that that was the gist of the document so here's here's my take on all this uh, based off of what we just looked at and based on the fact that the DOJ obviously doesn't want anybody to see anything and one thing um, that you had mentioned earlier before we even started talking about this is that the this is the actual document that's going to be provided to Congress. Yes. So absorb that for a moment. We have learned absolutely nothing from this document. Yep. We have learned nothing. There is no new information. There is nothing alarming outside of what we already knew yep. uh, from the get-go. This is what's being provided to Congress. So as far as I'm concerned, this is a worthless document. It's absolutely a worthless document. So unless that information that is redacted suddenly becomes unredacted and provided to said parties, at least the at least what what do they call that the uh, the intelligence committee? Yeah, I mean, I at, yeah, at least to them, like you had said earlier, I, I get the that they don't want to really. This is an ongoing investigation. Yeah. So you maybe I get the understanding that you don't want to release this information to the public. But if this is how it's going to look to the people, the parties that are in con that are overseeing this trial, yeah. that's that's some BS. Yeah, that the DOJ is either trying to hide something, is my thing, or they reviewed this and were like, well, yeah, this this is yeah. Now that we looked at it, you know, that's the direction I'm going because um, I'm just going to you know use one of Scott's old um, uh, philosophies, and that's our. Occam's razor, or however you say it, yeah. usually the easiest explanation is yeah. the explanation, and it's most likely that they stepped in, they stepped in it, and they thought that they were going to get something major out of this, and then it turned out to be a nothing burger. So they're 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 redacting all this stuff just because it's a nothing burger. Yeah. So you can take this anyway. If 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 you are like hell bent on seeing Donald Trump burn at the stake, then you're going to believe that. You know, Absolutely. everything in this document points to, you know, the, the G spot, so to yep. speak. Yeah, no, you I know? get you. I get you. Um, but, a little man in the boat. But on the other side of the stick, I mean, we fall in the middle of this. And I'm just going to say that at the yeah. forefront. We fall in the middle of this. Whether you believe that or not, it doesn't matter. But we fall in the middle of this. Is that if he is guilty of heart, you know, holding on to documentation that is considered a security, a national security threat. Uh, that's an issue that he should be held accountable for. You know, there's no question Regar about irregardless. that. Irregardless. Irregardless. Regardless. So, regardless. Um, but if if this is just a political stunt, if this is just 
a witch hunt, then there should be some there should should be some punishment for those that head, push head forward. should roll. In, yeah. in, in, in all honesty, because this is not something this puts a chill on every president from now on. Yeah. Because every president is going to have in the back of his mind are they going to send the FBI after me if I do this? You know. Exactly. And or once I'm out of office, because obviously the president runs the FBI. But, yeah. but that's what's going to happen is from now on, when Democrats get in office, they're going to investigate the Republicans. And when Republicans get in office, they're going to investigate. Well, they're the already Democrats. threatening that. I mean, like McCarthy the other day said that as soon as we're back into power, we're going to make sure you all go to jail is essentially what he said. Yeah. And I mean, it's it. I'm telling you, it's it's going to turn into a, a kindergarten. Uh, I think I think that Mike Lee was right. Um, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, he's a, he's a brilliant man uh, when it comes to the Constitution and precedent. He should be, uh, someday, he should be on the Supreme Court. That's just my, that's my personal opinion. But the brilliant man, uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, made the point that this is a door that's been opened, and he, he has no idea if it's going to be able to be closed again. Yeah. It's like get, trying to get the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. Um, you, you you really can't do it. So now, what has happened is a weaponization of the DOJ for political reasons. And there's no reason to believe that when Republicans take power, that they're not going to do the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is if it's warranted, and 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 again. This is where I have trouble because if corruption exists and things people are doing things that they shouldn't do, then they should be held to account for that, you know? And the problem is, is no party is going to investigate themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So it's always going to have to be, if the Republicans are doing something nefarious, I want them to be held accountable yeah. for that. Unfortunately, it's only going to be the Democrats that are going to search that out. There should be an independent party yeah. that could investigate this stuff that's neither a Republican or a Democrat that yeah. can say, hey, you guys aren't really playing by the rules yeah. one way or another. That's where libertarians come into play. Exactly. Or <laughs> independence. Or independence in general. You know, um, somebody. So just to take this from the media's perspective. So I would say that on a temperature grade, this story went from fajita sizzling, bringing yeah. it out on a plate, to now it's sitting under the lamp warmer. Yeah. On the and it's been sitting there for two to three days, and yeah. it's getting old. It's a it's an it's a dried up hot dog on a grocery store <laughs> roller. It's still is warm. Where it's, at now. it's still it's warm. It's still warm. It's still edible. But, but it's, it's it's nearing getting, its, it's expiration date. So and so when they started out this whole expedition, so to speak, from the media's perspective, is that they started out that you know all, across every headline that I could recall is that the word nuclear was yep. in there. Nuclear secrets are being hoarded. Nuclear secrets are you know there's a probable probable enough reason to believe that there's state secrets that could be detrimental to the security of the U.S. and yep. blah, 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 blah. 
Well, in none of the documentation, in none of the findings that have been nope. released, in none of the press briefings, in none of nothing, nothing, nothing that has been brought up to this point has even closely even resembled uh, the the substantiation of any of those claims. No. So that's slowly fizzing out of now. It's well, is he allowed to have the documents? Yeah. So yeah. Here's the thing is we already said, I mean, at least you said a couple of weeks ago yeah. is that uh, Barack Obama did secure 30 million documents for the use, I guess, at the library, his presidential library. But he went through the proper channels by which to do that, which means he went through NARA. NARA secured the documents. And I guess they, are they set up a skiff. They set up a skiff. And, you know, that's where the stuff is maintained. So he went through the proper channels. The issue here is that they're trying to go after DOJ for having state security secrets, which we can take on that subject at a different time because that's a whole other ball game is that the level of the level of secrecy that surrounds anything that involves nuclear secrets is on a is on a level far beyond what classified documents they're talking about. It's yeah. like it's like Bill Maher said a couple of weeks ago on his 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 show is that the one thing we forget to recognize is that classified has degrees and tiers. Yeah. And, and you know, he's not a, Bill Maher is not a DOJ no, fan. No, he's not by a Trump no, supporter he's, he's by just, any stretch. He's just making the statement is that when you say classified, that could be classified. I sent a text to my wife or classified. I have nuclear secrets. Yeah. You know, there are two different ball games, you know, yep. it's, it, you know, so there's same thing with top secret. Exactly. A, a, a conversation between the president and a uh, foreign leader, like his conversation with uh, the president of Ukraine that was so popular, that was top secret until they declassified exactly. it. And, and it was declassified by Donald Trump so that everybody could see what happened during and the, the And they're arguing that whether he has that ability. He has that he, ability. Even though he does. The president does not need permission from any body he does not need to seek a approval to declassify anything. The president of the United States as, uh, what was the word, chief, um, the executive in chief or the uh, whatever it is, yeah. commander in chief. Yeah. Thank you. I, such a brain fog today, Dave, I'm telling you. Um, the commander in chief is the head of the military. He's the head of the intelligence community. The entire executive branch he is in charge. So he has absolute authority on declassification, period. Yeah. So all well, the president has to do is say, no, that's not top secret anymore. Well, it would have happened during the course of while he was still in office. It would have had to. There, He couldn't have done that while he was outside of office. It would have already happened no. by then. And from what I understand, he declassified, and I'm just going off of... Um, we'll call them anonymous sources, but I'm going off of anonymous sources right now. So take it with what you will. You know how I feel about anonymous sources. So take it as you will. But from what I understand of the situation, that these documents in question were declassified in the 11th hour of Donald Trump's presidency. So at 11 o'clock on January 19th, um, he... he Joe Biden became president at midnight on January 20th. Mm -hmm. So at 11 o'clock on January 19th, uh, 2022, or 2020, it would have been 2021, um, he declassified these documents okay. and took them to Mar-a-Lago with 
um, some of his other stuff. Now, some of these documents were just things that got shuffled in with other paperwork as they were leaving the office, which happens to every president. Um, as they have so little time because they have to be there till the very end because he's president until midnight. So he has to make all the decisions by by law until midnight and then Joe Biden takes. Yeah. So they have very little time to pack up. So every time a president packs up and leaves, there's always some stuff that gets mixed in. And, and that's where this that's where this becomes not so strange and not so out of the ordinary because it happens uh, and it happens often. Um, it's just it's usually not to this level where they're accusing him of nuclear secrets. Um, another thing that comes from a somewhat anonymous source is that none of these documents were designated with a Q code. And what I've understood from intelligence officials, not only from listening to other podcasts and, and being online, um, but there was a, an intelligence gentleman that was on the Glenn Beck program, take it with what you will, but he said that nuclear secrets are usually designated with a Q code and none of the documents in the affidavit were designated with a Q code, so they weren't nuclear secrets. Not only that, but think about it. Think about it logically. Nuclear secrets, uh, how we design our nuclear bombs and stuff like that, one, what the hell does Donald Trump give a shit about how we make a nuclear bomb? Um, and two, those kind of documents, the president has every right to see those things, but those kind of documents are taken from the Pentagon in a locked briefcase, you know, handcuffed to somebody's wrist, taken to a skiff at the White House. The documents are presented in the skiff. The president is brought to the skiff, reviews the documents with somebody present. When the president's done, he leaves the office. The documents remain behind, and then they're secured again and taken back to yeah. the Pentagon. It's not like these documents are just FedExed to yeah. the to, to the White House or sent through U.S. mail yeah. to to the White House. There's a process to which you get these documents. So I very much doubt. I'm not leaving it out of the realm of possibilities, but I very much doubt that there was any nuclear information in any of this stuff. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So it. I mean, it comes to just a question of procedural issues more than exactly anything. it just seems like it's more of um how it what not necessarily what was done but how it was done yeah because yes donald trump did the same thing as obama he just went about it differently which donald trump <laughs> yeah does everything differently yeah um so but anyway um that's what happened that's that's and that's the way it was well the thing of it is is that i mean based off of what we're seeing right now, that's all we can conclude. And that's the thing I think people need to understand is that we're looking at the same stuff that everybody else will have access to yep. at this point. I mean, if just looking at it, I mean, I know based off of your feelings for him yeah, is that that's going to kind of sway how you feel, whether this is damning or not. But at the same time, you know, the fact of the matter is, is what's out there is out there. It's not any different. So, I mean, I, at this point, unless unless the DOJ is willing to like unclench their sphincter and uh, <laughs> release release a little bit of light, shed a little bit of light of the bullshit that they're trying to pull over there, I, I don't know. I mean, that's all I can assume. Nobody, I don't. 
if if you're suddenly somebody that's progressive left or Democrat or Republican or conservative or whatever the case be, you're in the middle somewhere that suddenly trusts the intentions of the DOJ and the FBI. Where have you been for the last yeah. sixty or seventy years? It's, I mean, it's, it's funny too because when when I was growing up, those on the left were against the FBI yeah. and were against the DOJ and were against you know, big pharma and we're against big business and corporations. And now all of a sudden they're like, yay, corporate. Yeah. I, America. That's the thing. It's like, you know, none of, none of what's going on, whether you agree with this, the, the direct object of all of what's going on, which is Donald Trump, look at everything else that's going on. Look at, look at all the secrecy, look at all the vagueness, look at all the half truths that are going on. I mean, Christopher Ray and, all this other, you know, it's just Merrick Garland. Who the hell knows what that dude's up to? I mean, it's just he should honestly recuse himself from he, from any of this. Yeah, because it's just gonna it's gonna shed more because of he a, has a direct yeah. he has a direct grudge against Donald Trump. Yeah, for for well stealing yeah. his and the point Supreme Court the point nomination. is if you want to if you want a court case or if you want an actual hearing to go through to establish certain facts that are being alluded to, then you need to recuse yourself because otherwise it's going to shed a light yeah. on those facts that make it doubt, yep. you know, put doubt, into put, it. put a high level of doubt on whether or not any of these facts are even <laughs> can yeah. be substantiated. All, all I can say is if you're a, if you're a Joe Biden supporter or a Hillary Clinton supporter or an Obama supporter, think of it as from, from that point of view, what would you have thought um, if they were doing this to Hillary Clinton exactly. or Joe Biden it's or, no or Barack Obama with the evidence that you're being presented, don't don't think of it like I'm trying to not think of it as a Donald Trump supporter. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of it as an American looking at what's going on, and it doesn't add up to me. Again, if it turns out that this is legitimate, and I can't say it enough. I, I, I quit... I'm sick and tired of having to qualify my opinions with, oh, if he's guilty, then he should be prosecuted because that's obvious. That should be obvious to everyone. Yeah. Anyone that breaks the law, whether you're um, a, a donkey or an elephant, um, then you should be held to account for that. Doesn't it, do, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. doesn't matter if you're a jackass or a, a jackass fat ass. or a fat ass. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, I mean, I could go on forever, but, but I, that's that's where I'm trying to come at it is if this were done to me, how would I feel about it? And yeah, it just it just doesn't add up to me. And I, I'm sorry, but that's just where I'm at. Yeah. If anybody's in a quarter law and they're throwing all these ambiguities out there and all this vagueness, I would be just like, well, no, given the given the information and the facts that I've been given so far, I'm absolutely shocked that the judge would actually sign off on this at, at all. Um, and I feel like, um, and I'll have to do some research on this, um, but I feel like the judge actually has some bias in this situation as well. I believe he um, participated in some anti-Trump stuff. Well, I mean, to think that judges are above... Yeah, above above bias. Yeah, yeah, or above uh, any kind of. They're doubt. not. They're not Christ-like. No figures. You know what I mean. They're, they're human supposed. Beings. They're supposed to be letter of the law, and that's it. Yeah, that's that's all they're supposed to be. Yeah, but the I mean, what was there was an article recently about two or three judges 
that got indicted for I can't even think of what it was. I had to look it up again, but that was a pretty big story. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, no, I neither get here you, nor there. But that that's where I I lay is just try to look at this from an objective standpoint. If it turns out that this is all true and he had stuff that he shouldn't have had, then I'm all for him being punished for it. But calling for his death when when you don't even know, like there was people out there that were calling for his execution already just because. Yeah. I well, mean, you're always you're always going to have those. I mean, the thing of it is, is that. Yeah, it, it's it's with every every the political spectrum anymore is that people have no control. Yeah, <laughs> you know at least on the fringes. I mean, the problem is is that we've discussed this before is that people in the middle that have any sense of, you know, right and wrong are you know going to hold hold their try to hold I guess to some degree what their judgments are on things until they have all the facts in front of them. Yeah. So the problem is, is that anymore we're basing what we're what we're thriving off of, what's fueling the political spectrum right now is just the fringe, you know, seething, you know, you know, waiting. And you I know. think what you should take from this is, do we want a justice system where you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, or do you want a justice system where you're considered to be innocent until you're proven guilty because the way that things are going in this country is we are developing ourselves to have a justice system where you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. Yeah. And and that's a, that's a principle, a principle difference between the United States or always has been a principle difference between the United States and like, say the people's Republic of China. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, it's like in, in China, when they raid your home, you know, there's a good chance you're never going to see the light of day. It, yeah. it doesn't matter if they raided it for wrong reasons. Yeah. They're going to find a reason to keep you yep. there. Yep. Uh, the principal difference in the U.S. is that it's always been that if you raid a person's home, there's a good chance that the raiding party is more in the wrong than the person yep. being raided. Yep. So if, if that if that balance tips in the wrong direction, then we're no different than anybody else in that regard. So, yeah, that. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are saying, oh, well, they wouldn't have signed off on a warrant if they didn't have probable cause. That's, that's not, not true. true at all. That's not true. That's not yeah. true at all. Where And when did the left all of a sudden jump on the no. law enforcement bandwagon? Yeah. Like it, it's 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 all arbitrary. Yeah. At any way, at any rate. Um, so we're going to be in debt pretty pretty badly. Inflation's going to go crazy. Uh, college tuition's going to go up. Uh, we're turning into a banana republic. Uh, laws mean nothing anymore, and general warrants are okay. Uh, that's what we're getting from this uh, from this episode. <laughs> yep, isn't that uh, such a bright and cheery uh, episode? Thanks, Mike. The lines. <laughs> Thanks. So um, I'm going to go jump off a bridge now. <laughs> Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put link, <clears throat> links to all the articles in the description for the YouTube video below so you can research these articles yourself. I'll put links to the PDF um, as well so that you can um, get access to that. Um, j- just read read all these articles. Read up on what's going on because we're just, we're just showing you what we know. Uh, we're not showing you anything that's not readily available online. We're not, we're not contorting any facts. Uh, we're not editing anything. Uh, you can see it as we have it 
uh, we're just showing you where we're coming from. Yeah. So, you know, take it take it with a giant pillar of salt um, and do the research yourself. Um, pay attention to what's going on. If you like our content, hit the like and subscribe button down below. Hit the notification bell so that you can be um, notified when we get more content. If you're listening to our podcast on Spotify, you can follow us um, there. Hit the follow button, follow the podcast, um, like the podcast, give us some comments. If you're watching on YouTube, comment below and let us know, um, you know what your favorite video is so far. Um, and uh, just kind of let us know how we're doing, what you'd like to see more of or less of or anything along those lines. Just want to end this out on a nice song. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, for, for Dave... You can find us on Twitter at the BTL Podcast. You can find us on Facebook uh, at the BTL Podcast, uh, PA Between the Lines. Uh, and our website, thebtlpodcast.com. Uh. <laughs> so until next time, um, check out our old videos, uh, do some research, try to turn off the mainstream media uh, because they're, they're really not doing their jobs anymore. Um, find your news from other sources uh, like between the lines yeah. um, until next time uh, take care of yourselves and each other see ya bye